Are you a uh, morning person? Are you a person that loves to get up in the morning and uh, meet the crack of dawn? Are you ready to get the day started? Are you excited about that? Are you a morning person? Raise your hand if you're a morning person. If you're a uh, morning person, give us a thumbs up in chat. If you're more of a night owl, give us a thumbs down. I'm not sure what the proper way to, to do that would be. Um, if you're a morning person, if, or if you're not a morning person, the odds are you might be a person who hits snooze once or twice or a dozen times on the alarm clock before you get out of bed. Uh, maybe you're not a night owl all of the time, but you stayed up a little bit later to, you know, watch the game on television or the playoffs, or maybe you watched that movie, you snuggled up close with your sweetheart and enjoyed that late night movie, and so you're kind of feeling it this morning. I've discovered in life that there are two kinds of people, uh, morning people and those who hate them. They're called night owls, as we've already said. There's morning people and night owls. And I've also discovered something else, is that there is a benefit to one over the other. Studies have actually shown is that, it, that it's actually better to be a morning person than it is to be a night owl. It's actually linked to your physical and mental health to be more of a morning person than it is to be a night owl. Now, there was a study at the University of Manchester that was done for 6,000 people, and that doesn't seem like a large uh, data sample that we can really draw some conclusive data, but they took these 6,000 people and followed them for over 35 years. So they've tracked them for a long period of time, and they tracked them between the relationships of chronotype, a chronotype is, are you a morning person or are you a night person? And they tracked that and compared it with the relationship between your mental and physical health. Late chronotypes, in other words, the night owls, uh, they seem to have better social lives because they were up when other people weren't working. I get that. Uh, they seem to have better social lives. They seem to spend more time socializing and entertaining. But early chronotypes tend to be healthier. They had better self-ratings, so this is the way they perceived themselves, and this is the way they felt, that they felt like they had better health. Uh, they had a better view of health when it related to smoking, number of medications, alcohol use patterns, exercise habits, quality of sleep, and even just getting around from place to place. And that's just the subjective things. In terms of actual health indicators, evening types were at a higher risk of hypertension and had higher scores on a measure of metabolic health that was measuring cholesterol and obesity. In other words, you have a greater chance of being overweight if you're a night owl than if you're a morning person. And here's the kicker. Morning people seem to live longer. Some of these people that they measured out of these 6,000 people had passed away over the 35 plus years. And they passed away almost 12 years older than they did those that were the night owls. The morning people lived late into their 70s, early into their 80s, while those who were night owls 
seem to pass away sooner. So, if that doesn't depress you because most of you put up your hands to say you're night owls, let me continue. <laughs> There's more sad news for you, and that is it's your genetic makeup that determines your chronotype. You can't physically change whether you're a night owl or a morning person. You can adopt some habits, but you cannot find your best energy of your day. It's coded directly to who you are genetically, which means it's almost impossible to change that. So, if you're a night owl, God bless you. Thanks for coming today. I'm sorry to get you up so early, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Why do I tell you all this? Why do I share all this with you? Well, we've been in a series called Hope in the Dark, and we've been talking about what it means to have real faith for the real world. And it's a series that's designed to help us lean into who God is and what He wants for us when the world feels dark. And over the last two weeks, has it not felt like the world was a lot darker than we want it to be? Or maybe it's not the world. Maybe it's your world that's dark. We want a faith, and we want to build a faith that the Apostle Paul would describe in 2 Corinthians. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's the kind of faith that we're trying to build, trying to inspire, trying to draw from in our relationship with God in following Jesus together. To have this kind of faith that no matter what assails us, whether it's from the world or our world, that we have real faith for what we're facing. That we have real hope in the darkness that we're in. And we've talked about a lot of things since we started this series. We started this all the way back in March, and it's almost the end of May. And we're going to wrap up next week. But I want to continue something that we were talking about two weeks ago. I know two weeks ago, it's 14 days. It's a lot of hours between here and there. So let me give you just a quick recap of what we talked about couple of weeks ago. We talked about how we can praise God. That the last number of Psalms in the book of Psalms from 145 on, as a matter of fact, are talking about praising the Lord. And there's all sorts of emphasis and instruction. And of course, the worship leader will always say, right, hey, we should praise the Lord. Oh, come on, you're the musician. Of course you're going to say that. You're the worship leader. Of course you're going to say that. But it's repeated over and over and over again that praise is fundamental to having hope in the dark. And Psalm 150 is the psalm that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And we learned that we are to praise the Lord with everything we have and everything we are. But that sounds like it's for a particular kind of person, doesn't it? 
That sounds like it's for someone who is, you know, that, that extroverted person, that, that energized person, or that musician, that artist, that creative person. They just naturally knows what it means to praise. I mean, Psalm 150 is full of uh, instructions on using all the instruments you can have. Get the, get the trumpet out, get the cymbals out, and all these instruments and make just this beautiful harmony together. What if you're not creative? What if you're not extroverted? What if you're not musical? What do you do? What if we're not genetically predisposed to praise? What if it's hard for us? Like mourning people versus those who don't like them. Like morning people versus night owls, it seems like some people are more hardwired to praise God than others, right? Sharing a couple of weeks ago that uh, I would be at dis- coming up to district conference. District conference is now passed, but they led worship every evening. And it is not hard to get a bunch of pastors to want to worship. One, they're not running the worship service, so they can really let loose and enjoy themselves. But two, they're really engaged with what's being sung and said and they're supporting what's being done and they want to engage. They're desperate for that connection, that filling, that experience that comes from being in the presence of God with His people. Some people seem to be predisposed to that. Some people are extroverted. Some people are musical. Some people have talent and they naturally praise God with everything they have, every ounce of strength, every you know, emotional part of the will, every part of them, all their focus is given to praising God in that moment. But there are some who are more reserved. As a matter of fact, you may be old enough to remember that being reserved in church, being more formal was the correct way to worship God. There needed to be order there needed to be reverence, and you don't do that with a lot of emotion. You show respect by sitting still and being quiet. There are others who are just more reserved in their personality, they're more introverted, they may be more shy, or just less musically gifted. They struggle to praise. I mean, if you're not musically gifted, It's hard to sing along, isn't it? Especially if you don't know the song, you're not quite sure how it goes. You belt out the word at the wrong time and all of a sudden you're singing a solo that you never intended to sing. Isn't that fun? When all of a sudden nobody else is singing and you are and you're just like, oh, I wish I could die. Or someone's clapping, right? And you're clapping on the wrong beat and everyone's looking at you and you're like, It's hard sometimes to praise the Lord if if you're not a morning Christian. If you're more of the night owl Christian. It can be hard to praise the Lord. We can't change our genetic disposition, right? This is how we're hardwired. This is our our personality. This is the, the way that we are. This is the way that we process information. So to ask people to praise like that with everything they have and everything they are, it seems like we're, we're fighting against how God made them. But I think it's possible. 
I think it's possible, it may not come naturally, but I think it's possible for even the night owl Christians, and to be honest, the morning Christians, to prepare to praise. Imagine a night owl were to come to you, a morning person, and say, I've just seen the evidence in your life that being a morning person has some real advantages. What can you teach me? What are some habits that I can intentionally put into my life to leverage the morning hours better? There'd be some things that you could tell them, right? The same is true with a night owl Christian. Imagine a Christian who wants to be more intentional about being someone who gives praise, not just stoically, but with their emotions. It doesn't have to be demonstrated on the outside, but they're engaged with all that they have and all that they are. There's some things that they can think that put them in a place where they are ready to praise. They can develop a praise routine, so to speak. In the same way a night owl can develop a morning routine, a night Christian can develop a praise routine. And that's enormously helpful because I don't know if you noticed, but for those who are more of the night owl Christians, when do we meet for church? Morning. We drag you out of bed. We expect you to put on uh, something that's comfortable, but, you know, at least shows that you thought about something that you were going to wear, and you come to church, and you're supposed to engage and get involved. Some people are here at 9 a.m. <gasps> in order to get ready for the service, and they're supposed to be here and engage. Their minds are supposed to be thinking about the flow of the service, and they're supposed to be ready. Well, it turns out the, psalm actu the Psalms actually has an answer for those who might be more predisposed to being the night owl as a Christian more than the morning person as a Christian. And there's some things that they can leverage in order to prepare to praise the Lord. And I'd love to show you the two things that these experts, these expert worshipers, these expert praise people know what to do. And if you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Psalm 65. Why can we be excited, regardless of whether we're a more introverted or extroverted Christian, whether we're emotional, whether we're musically gifted, why can we all be excited to praise the Lord? Take a look at the first four verses. The psalmist writes, praise awaits you, our God, in Zion, your city, to you, our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you, all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. We can be excited to praise the Lord regardless of our personalities, regardless of whether we're a morning Christian or a night owl Christian, because the Lord wants to be near to us. Think about this for a moment. Right now, in the multiple empty chairs right next to you, the Lord is sitting there. He's right there with you. He is sitting right next to you. 
He wants to be close to you, and He wants to speak to you. God wants us to be near. He is constantly drawing us near. And isn't that amazing? He will do everything He must do in order to help us draw near. He has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. He has made a way for us to enter into His holy presence without fear, without condemnation, without shame, because Jesus has paid the debt for us through His death and resurrection. We have a God that we can talk to about our deepest problems. We don't have to be in a specific location in order to know the presence of God that He's near us. We don't have to do a specific ritual. We don't have to make a cross. We don't have to kneel. We don't have to look at a particular symbol. We don't have to have a particular statue. He just wants to be near us. He wants to be so near us, in fact, that the very first thing that happens to us when we believe in Jesus Christ is that we receive the Holy Spirit who comes and indwells into our lives. The third person of the Trinity comes and takes up residences in our very souls. That's how close God wants to be near you and me. He loves to listen to us personally. Who can pray? Who are the people that get to pray? Is it the priests? The pastors? Is it those with a religious degree? Do you have to have a specific amount of time that you have taken in being a Christian before you get a chance to pray? Who gets to pray? Everyone. Christian and non-Christian. Think about that. The Lord listens to those who aren't even Christian yet. Because how do you become a Christian? You pray and receive the Lord Jesus. You testify. You confess your sins to Him. That's prayer. He's given everyone access to Him. The other day I was um, uh, looking on Twitter, as I often do when I'm bored and have COVID, and I saw that an artist was announcing that he was getting back on tour and he was announcing a new album. It had been a decade since he had released a new album, and so he was releasing a new one in Atlanta. And he said it was going to be this one-price ticket. Anybody can come to the concert and hear all these new songs. I thought, that'd be great if we were in Atlanta. That'd be kind of fun to go to. I'm not going to fly down to Atlanta to, to do that, but that would, be, that would be a lot of fun to go. And then the very next tweet, because it was a chain of tweets that, that he had put out on Twitter, he said, and if you're willing to spend more money, there's going to be a backstage pass available, and if you're willing to spend a little bit more money, there's going to be a meet and greet, and if you're willing to spend a little bit more money, then you can even get an autograph. In other words, the tickets all had a tiered system of access, right? And that's true for everything you buy a ticket for. You want a seat closer to the action at the game? you got to pay a little bit more money. The cheap seats, where are they? Up in the rafters, and they've got obstructed views where you've got to peer around the, the other people who can't afford to be there either, and you're looking around a big giant pillar that's in the middle of nowhere, and they put a seat right behind it for something. There's tiered access to everything except God. Isn't that amazing? 
You don't need to be in an official church. You don't need to be in the sanctioned church. You can be gathering in your home with a group of believers. You can be in your car, and you have access to God Almighty Himself, and that is the way He wants it to work. He has moved heaven and earth to give you unlimited access to Him. Isn't that amazing? As a matter of fact, I think we should just pause. Let's bow our heads. And let's actually talk to the one who wants to speak to us the most. I'm just going to give you a moment of silence for you to pray silently in your own heart by starting with these words. God, thank you for access to your presence. Why don't we pray that? Let's take a couple of moments. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Is it most of church one-way communication? And maybe during a song, if you're really feeling the song, like it's really speaking to you, you might feel the presence of the Lord. That's the way life is supposed to be. To always be under the impression, regardless of our circumstances, that we are never alone. That God is always with us, always guiding us, always wanting to hear from us like... How as parents, when their kids run in the room, no matter what's happening, we want to hear about their day and whatever they want to talk about. That's how God is to His people, His children. I think sometimes we make prayer so formal and we make prayer a little selfish, don't we? It's all about us. And we fail to remember that Behind the act of prayer is not a payment system that if we do the right kind of prayer at the right time with the right kind of sacrifice, that that's what gives us access. It's that we have a God who moved heaven and earth so that we could be close to Him, regardless of how close to Him we are at this moment. That's amazing. Prayer the idea of prayer like that is amazing. We can be excited about praising the Lord because we have unlimited access to His presence. But there's a challenge with that, isn't there? The problem is, even though we know that God is always close, that God is always near, sometimes that's really hard to feel and recognize and engage, right? That's the way life should be, but that's not the way life always feels like it is. And that makes prayer difficult, and that makes forgiveness unfelt. We wonder if there's some kind of thing God is holding back from us, some kind of grudge saying, no, I remember that thing. And that thing that you've struggled with, that hidden sin that's kept you uh, in bondage over and over again, I'm done with it. 
If you've ever felt like that, then you kind of know what it's like to be a night owl who is told by the morning person to just be more awake in the morning. Well, that's not helpful. How? How do we do that? How do we begin to experience that God is close even when he doesn't feel like he's close? I think the answer is you've got to know where to look. And thankfully, where we can look is actually all around us. Let me show you. The psalmist continues and says in verse 5 of Psalm 65, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the waves, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. We can get excited to praise the Lord because He's close to us, but we can get excited to praise the Lord because He uses His power over His creation to care for us. He uses His power over creation, over nature, to provide for our material needs. God, the one who spoke all things into existence, did not just say, well, that's it. Off you go. He is in direct control of His creation. He controls all that we see in all of the known universe so that He might bless us. The Creator is still in control. He is sovereign, in other words. And the sovereignty of God is real. And the best thing about the sovereignty of God is that He uses it for our benefit, not just His own. And that's amazing to me. He uses that control that He has to care for us. They saw this most clearly in the way that He controlled the nations, how He controlled the seas, how He controlled and created all of the mountains and all that they see. But they saw it most specifically the psalmist spoke of it most specifically because they were farmers. They lived in an agrarian society, and they talked about these furrows and ridges. I had to look that up because even though I grew up in a small town in northern Ontario, Canada, and we had farms all around us, we didn't use ridge farming at all. But ridge farming is a device where you plow some deep furrows, and then that's not where you plant the seed. What happens is, as a farmer, you would then come and you would shave off the top of the ridges, which seems like a waste of dirt. 
But what it would do is it would cut off all of the places where seeds of weeds had already taken root. And you would cut off those ridges and you would trim them and all the dirt would fall down into the furrows. And then you would plant what you wanted on top of the ridges, corn and other wheat and uh, grains like that. And then the rains would come. And where would the rains go? In the furrows, in the ditches. And it would collect and it would nurture the land. By the way, where were the people of Israel when the psalmist was giving him this illustration, this metaphor? They were in a desert. And he was reminding them that their ability to farm at all was something that God was directly involved in. That's the truth of farming I did know because we plant flowers. You might have some flowers outside. We plant flowers. We like to also notice that there are many weeds that shouldn't be there, but there are. I think it's amazing, no matter whether you're a gardener or not, and no matter how brutal the winter we get here in Rochester and in western New York, that when spring and summer comes, doesn't the green just explode out of nowhere? Like, it wasn't this green three weeks ago. And all of a sudden, boom, it's everywhere. So much so, you're having to cut your lawn twice a week. Because just a little bit of water goes a long way. A little bit of sunshine goes a long way. Farmers know, gardeners know that they can do everything they can to try and have a beautiful crop or a beautiful uh, flower garden. And they know they can't control it. They know who does. That's the God that we have. And what the psalmist is saying here is that this has been a good year for us. This has been a good harvest for us. And that's clearly from the hand of God. That it could have gone other ways. We could have had a poor harvest. We may not have had any harvest. It could have been a very lean year. Farmers understand this. Sometimes there's bumper crops and sometimes there aren't crops. In this year, it was good, and he recognized that it was from the Lord. And seeing God at work and control nature the way that he does for our blessing and for our benefit is amazing. And we don't experience that unless we get out into nature ourselves. Green is good, in other words. There was a study done in 2019 in the UK of about 20,000 people that showed consistently higher levels of health, both physically and mentally, if they spent two weeks, two hours a week or more in nature. So two hours a week minimum, if you were in nature, you were better, you had better health physically and mentally. Isn't that interesting? You know that, don't you? You can't wait to get out of this room and go and look outside. You can't wait for better weather to fire up the grill. You can't wait to go hiking. You can't wait to go biking and to be outside in nature. You know that's better for you. When you're in your office, you can't wait to get outside and go for a walk at lunch. Even if you're surrounded by other office buildings, you just want to be outside 
and enjoy the nature sounds of traffic. But you want to be outdoors. Isn't it interesting that we're designed like that, like every culture understands that? Well, that's because that's the way the entire universe was designed to work. And I would actually posit to you that that's intentional for our benefit. That creation was made for us to enjoy. And that it gives us a better life when we do. As a matter of fact, the earth is like that. Earth is the only planet in our solar system that can sustain life. You get too close to the sun, what happens? You burn up. You get too far away from the sun, what happens? You freeze up. And that's what happens when you look at Mars or you look at Pluto. I know Pluto's not technically a planet anymore, but I'm from that era, so it's a planet in my mind. You look at the precise rate of the Earth's rotation. If the rotation of the Earth had have been one-tenth its present rate, the length of our days and nights would have been increased ten times. Vegetation would burn up during the long days, while during the nights there would be such low temperature, plant life would not survive. It would freeze. The Earth is exactly the right size to sustain life. The physical Earth is exactly the right proportions. If we had have been uh, the small as the moon, gravity would be one-sixth of what it is now, and the atmosphere and water on the planet would completely evaporate. It couldn't hold it. If you doubled the diameter, if you made the Earth bigger, the force of gravity would be doubled, and the atmosphere would be so compressed that air pressure would be increased from 50 to 15 to 30 pounds per square inch. That's a significant difference when you're trying to breathe. And if our earth was increased to the size of the sun while maintaining its present density, gravity would be increased 150 times, and that would increase atmospheric pressure to over a ton per square inch. Nothing would survive. I don't know if you ever considered it, but the Earth's crust is exactly the right size. If it had have been 10 feet thicker, the metallic elements in the Earth's crust would have combined with all the free oxygen in the atmosphere, ruling out all the possibility of breathing. Animal life would not exist. The moon is exactly the right distance from the Earth. If it's a little bit closer, if it's uh, five times closer than it is, Every continent on the earth would submerge twice a day from lunar tides. The composition of the atmosphere is perfect to sustain life. It's 78 part nitrogen and 21 parts oxygen. You put too much nitrogen in the body and it slows down the functions of the body. So much so that we die. You increase the oxygen and the opposite occurs. It increases the rate of function in the body and it would increase the activities of the body that we wouldn't live that long. We'd burn out like a candle. And the angle of the earth is exactly right for us to have seasons. It is 23 and a half degrees tilted on its axis. And that's what gives us spring summer, fall, winter, and it allows water to collect, nurture plant life, nurture farms in order for us to eat in the first place. It provides a season where the soil can lie idle 
soak up moisture and become more fertile. You put all of that together, and do you know what that tells me? That is intentionally designed for us to thrive. We thrive when we get outside. I know, we're not farmers, right? I don't farm. You don't farm. It can be difficult to see how God works through creation, through nature, because we're just not connected like that anymore. We live in an industrial technological society. But I wonder if sometimes the amount of time we stare at our screens versus going on a walk harms us more than it helps us. I think if you look at the studies of what technology does is that we often implement it without knowing its full consequences until years, decades later. And Maybe, just maybe, this is a good time for us to shut things off, put things down for a couple of hours, just a couple of hours a week, and get outside. Yeah, we might need a hat, some sunscreen. A lot of us are white Canadian skin types, which means that we're so reflective, we cause accidents on the road uh, if we're not careful, if we don't cover up that natural shine that comes out when we break hibernation from winter, and we kind of get that here in Rochester too. But maybe, maybe nature is a great reminder that God is caring for us and has already given us so much that we need. And maybe God's sovereignty is less than being about who's in charge, but on how He's providing for us. Because that's what He does. He designed the world to work like that, to bless us. I think we can get excited to praise because God provides. I know sometimes praising God, especially on a Sunday morning, can be hard. We're tired, stayed up the night before, hockey went late. Well, maybe that's to me, and probably Josiah, and that's it. But it can also feel hard just because that's not how we're wired. We're not morning Christians. Then sometimes things go wrong. The band gets COVID. Not many people in attendance. Maybe the things you're bringing in on a Sunday feels pretty rough. That a lousy morning, lousy night, lousy weekend, lousy week, lousy for as long as you can remember. All those things can be true. But you can do some things to prepare to praise. And it starts by what you think about God. It starts by remembering that God wants to be in your presence. He wants you to know His presence. He wants you to know His heart like He knows yours. He wants you to feel comfortable to bring anything to Him, to pray anything to Him. In other words, you're on God's mind this morning. And that's amazing. 
And he wants you to know that he's providing for you. And maybe just a walk around the block will remind you of exactly that. Because of God, his presence and his provision, anyone can be excited to praise. Let's pray together. Jesus, in this quiet moment, we ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, speak directly to us. Remind us of how close you are. Remind us of how you love us. Remind us of how you provide for us. And if we find that hard because we just don't feel that you're close, we don't feel like you are caring for us, then Lord, may we take the steps that we need, the steps outside. Turning our phones off, our screens off, just to listen, to look at the way the world is designed to work. That could be as simple as looking at the flower beds outside our door, going down to the park near our, near our homes, our apartments, going to one of the national parks near us, going to the waterfront, and just seeing the way you've designed the world to bless us. That's who you are. You want to give us good things, and you do. Help us to become more aware of them, and may that stir in us, regardless of whether we're a morning Christian or a night owl Christian. May that stir in us excitement to praise you with everything we have and everything we are. Would you help us to do that, Father, in Jesus' name? Amen.